I very much had to figure out as an owner, how do we move forward? Because how this company is, has been operating up to this point is not sustainable. All right, real quick, we're going to get back to the episode, but Print Hustlers Conf is this year. We've got an exciting announcement to make. MadeLab is hosting Print Hustlers Conf November 5th. It's starting in Los Angeles, California. So it's November 4th, 5th, and 6th. Um, number four, four is going to be a Printavoing Soft User Summit. The fifth is going to be a bunch of talks. And the sixth is going to be a really cool tour of the Bell and Canvas factory here in Los Angeles. So uh, just head to printhustlers.com. You can grab your tickets, grab your tickets for your shop, your family, your cousin, your mama, everybody. We want to see you there. It should be a lot of fun. It's going to sell out. Yeah, as it always does, it will sell out. So make sure to grab your tickets early, book your travel, and I'll see you there. All right, back to the show. You need a solution to improve efficiency and reduce costs in your art department. If you go to 1900hotstuff.com, you are going to find Graphic Source. Graphic Source offers industry leading outsource options for your shop by truly becoming a part of your team. They plug and play with Printavo and other shop management software. So when it comes to SEPs, mock ups, creative art, order management, embroidery, digitizing, back office admin, or customer service. There's no better company in our industry to work with. They have over 30 years in the game. They really know and understand shop needs and have a proven track record. If you mention the Printavo pod, you'll get 50% off your first vector, SEP, or embroidery order. And we have three full-time Graphxers on our team. So Campus Inc. uses uh, the graphics team a lot. All right, Bruce, who we got next? Steven... I know you shouldn't be spending all day cleaning dirt screens. Even if you are, you really need to stop doing that. Easy Ways line of environmentally conscious chemicals will get the job done faster and more efficiently, costing you a fraction of the cost per screen. Your favorite chemicals are 701-842 to help clean dirty screens. But what's really cool about Easy Way, they work with 100 plus distributors in the States but they're there. They're there to help. They're there to help be your partner. They've got great how-tos, best practices, and just support to be able to help uh, make your shop a lot more efficient. Have you heard of Multicraft Daddy? Uh, that's Multicraft underscore Daddy, who has, I think, over 850 followers as of today. But uh, if you need ink supplies or a daddy, Multicraft Screen Printing and Digital Supplies for over 50 years has been providing you with top brands at competitive prices. Um, and if you send him a DM, he's giving away a case of PMI tape per episode. Um, and I think he's been hosting like sip and prints once a month. Um, Multicraft Daddy is getting after it and he's doing a killer job. So give him a follow and... Uh, Shoot him a message and mention the Printavo pod. Thanks so much, Multicraft. Last but not least, Supercolor. You know that Supercolor is the world's best heat transfer. It's made for screen printers by screen printers. They really understand the pressures and expectations of running a screen printing business. And uh, I think they still have like side shops, which is really cool. And honestly, that's why they pride themselves on being very fast and easy to use. Um, they help, especially being in a pinch. I know you've had issues and they've they've uh, worked with you in overnighted transfers to be able to get the job done quickly. So check them out. Supercolor. Hopefully we can get a really cool shop tour with them soon. They've got a beautiful facility, multiple facilities actually. And uh, 
and a new website like form to fill out too to be able to order transfers. So Printavo 15 that gets you 15% off your order. Check them out. And we're live. Um, Scott, you're on vacation. Where yeah. did you go? Uh, well, we did a classic American road trip across Kentucky for a full week. And we tried to find every random cool little roadside attraction we could find. Uh, we stayed in the wigwams one night. We went to Mammoth Cave National Park. And then we just wigwams. found all the, all the little weird stuff we could find. Giant forks in the road. Uh, Kentucky Stonehenge, which is a, a miniature Stonehenge that's in someone's yard. So any like cool roadside attractions we could find, that's, that's, that was our goal. Wow. Is, um, is there a, Stephen, is there have a, you looked up wigwam on Google? No. <laughs> do, I, do I want to? I mean, I'm shot like so you stayed in this. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they were originally built like in the thirties and there was like 12 or 13 across the country. There's only two left. One just happens to be in um, Kentucky randomly. And the couple that bought it, they bought it in 2020 and have been remodeling it or renovating it back to its original state. And still there's like two or three units that aren't even complete that you, that you can't stay in yet. Hmm. Whose idea was that? The road trip idea? No, no, no. The wigwam idea. Is this a, is this a Scott thing? No, my wife, uh, Brandy, she found the wigwams in our kind of search to, uh, to find as many oddball roadside things that we could find. Cause we intentionally wanted to stay in like roadside motels and really try and recreate like a classic family road trip. Like an Oregon trail. Did you used to play that game? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the bison have, uh, have gotten, uh, sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, none of us yeah. died of dysentery. <laughs> dysentery. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, Good memories. Were you, did you rent like a really old minivan, like a '90s wooden? No, we like just a, took my wife's car. Yeah, we were uh, just okay. in my wife's car. Bruce, what family car did you have growing up? Uh, we had a van. It was a blue van. AC broke, um, which is fine as long as the heat works. Because being in Chicago, you know, you could just roll down the windows and be fine. Yeah, that was yeah. ours. I don't know. We I don't remember what kind it was. We road tripped in a Pontiac uh, minivan. And then <laughs> uh, when we got to high school, we got the SUV. It's like the, the, the world of Suburbans. Nice. The world of Suburbans. Yeah, we didn't do road trips, though. No? Um, did you do road trips? Oh, I, yeah. We would, yeah. yeah, we would road trip to Florida every year. Scott, where did, yeah, where did you grow up, Scott? So I grew up in Southwest Virginia, which is actually in the, where I am now back in Roanoke, Virginia, which is in Southwest Virginia, like Blue Ridge Parkway, Blue Ridge Mountains, all, all in the middle of, of a lot of nature, which is really awesome. So we're very fortunate here. Were you still pretty plugged in when you're on vacation? So this particular trip, no. I specifically went on this trip to unplug one of the first oh, <laughs> trips that I've ever not taken my laptop intentionally. Oh, stayed you didn't away bring from. a laptop? No, no. That's next was, level. Yeah. Or an iPad or something. Well, I mean, I, I have my phone, but like no tablets, no iPhone or no, um, no laptop. And just specifically kind of left the shop to its own devices. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do that more and more to be a little bit more, uh, uh, unplugged from the day-to-day -day operations here. Scott, how long were you gone for it? You said a week. I was gone. We were gone for a full week. 
Yeah. Okay, this is really interesting. Was it? And you're pretty hands-on. Those that know Scott Garnett, King Screen, yeah. King Lean. Um, was it harder for you to let go, or for your staff to just accept that you weren't there? Actually, can you talk about that? I think this is really interesting. Like, it's definitely harder on me because I'm, you know, King Screen's 17 years old, and for the majority of that, I've been definitely full-on, hands-on, involved. 100% and kind of a lot of the aspects of really got my hands in all the jars here. And it's that's been the biggest challenge for me personally is to unplug as an owner and uh, not be involved in looking at every print, making adjustments, helping to stage jobs every day. And uh, my first step back from things was definitely backing away from the office, getting office staff was, has been vital for us, for me and for me personally, to be able to back away from that. And how, like, before you left, and and you know, if you don't follow King Screen on Instagram, you need to go do it right now because Scott Garnett does a ton of like two second lean, like probably one of the most organized, detail oriented shops. What was it like before you left for vacation? Like, can you tell us or walk through us the couple of days, you know, before you were about to unplug? So mostly it's we we're mapping the week that I'm going to be gone. So we're a Monday based shop. So our production schedules is very easily accessible from every uh, we have Chromebooks all over the shop. So everyone has access to pulling up Monday, seeing what jobs are going to be needed that week and the status of all of those things. Um, so a lot of it was just kind of going over with the team like. These are the jobs that need to be completed on the days they need to be completed and kind of prepping. So for them, a lot of it's just plug and play and then just putting into place like um, checks and balances for press ops to be checking on each other as needed or or uh, making sure if there's going to be any any other staff shortages that how are we going to maintain and fill those needs? And so how did it go? Like you kind of you talked about how it was hard for you to unplug, but that did you have to go to the Apple store and get a laptop? <laughs> yeah, did you? Yeah, like how, how did it go? <laughs> no, it went great. You know, I, I I was really proud of my team. They really stepped up and, and took care of it. This is kind of the first time I've really been away for that long and been uh, unavailable, completely unavailable. I did, I did answer a few text messages and stuff, but normally it would be like me hopping on my laptop at night and filling in the gaps or responding to emails even. And I really set out with the intent to not do that on this trip. And, and it really worked out well. I mean, I was really proud of our team. They really stepped up. Did you bring a, uh, or, or like schedule wise, was it like Steve and I have talked about this. Um, we we're on vacation recently. Are you checking email like once in the morning, once at night? Or, or like, because I feel like having that sort of regimented schedule helps a little bit with not being just constantly checking on Slack or constantly checking for text messages. And maybe you just didn't have very good service, you know, in the, in the, wah, in the wigwam. <laughs> no <laughs> Wi-Fi there. <laughs> but yeah, what was that like? Uh, yeah, I mean, just by nature, I, I was checking my emails as, as normal, just even just browsing like what's going on, mainly looking for fires, looking for issues, anything, any like, major failures that might be happening, but none of that arose and didn't really, you know, besides just kind of 
looking at it to keep track of it for me personally uh, is maybe more of an addiction than <laughs> than necessary. Yeah. But I, yeah. I agree. I was in Italy for 10 days with my wife and we have a really strong team and they wanted me to like really unplug. Like I deleted Slack for half of it. Um, <laughs> downloaded it for one half. Uh, but I found, I found myself compulsively checking, like trying to find or digging things out. And I like, it was very, very hard for me to like not check it so much so that I had to delete the app. And I think there's some merit there where you said like, it was hard for me to actually do it. Um, but I guess I get, what are your, like, what are your takeaways from coming like from that experience? Because I think there's probably a lot of shops hearing this being like, I can't step away from my shop right now. Or when I leave, everything goes to shit or like, you know, we've heard this over and over again. What, what were your big lessons learned? Um, well, the big lesson is for, for me, my takeaway is that I'm also not in that place. You know, I, I'm really, I'm, the shop's really not in a position currently to function without my daily involvement. So for me, the trip really highlighted that as a shop weakness. And it really, you know, really gave me the, the perspective of like, this, these are the things I need to work on. These are the processes that need to get documented. These are the things that I need to put in place so that it's less of a problem next time. Because being a lean shop, it's about continuous improvement. And so the truth is I I'm, wasn't in a position to step away. I wasn't in a position to not <laughs> take a laptop on the trip. And so it's just really about, for me, it was about just diving into that and, uh, and just kind of seeing, discovering where the weaknesses were so that those can be addressed in the future. It's like a stress test. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we've, we've put a lot in place. Um, you know, I, I came across this uh, Chrome plugin called Tango. It, the website's tango.us. It documents. Um, uh, oh yeah, the, I saw this the other day. Yes, yeah, step-by-step so guides, and it. We were very. Uh, it was very easy for us to create a library of simple daily tasks, very very quickly. I mean, basically, I recorded everything that I did for about two or three days. And we've got, I think we're over two dozen PDF um, tutorial guides uh, in our Tango library now. That's everything from how to, and we separated how to order transfers from 613, how to order shirts from SNS, how to order shirts from Alpha Broder, or every little thing that I may have sat down and done over the course of those two days. We just documented those really raw was message over method. So we I, you can go in and edit those PDFs and you can uh, circle things in the screenshots that it takes. Um, but having those guidelines, which of course here translates to QR codes on things. So how to make a shipping label, uh, that Tango PDF is uh, access to a QR code that's at the shipping station. And so any, and it's all public access. So anybody can scan it with their phone and they can pull that up. Um, and so things like that. So trying to empower the staff with everything they need to eliminate just remedial questions over and over again, every single day, or having those particular tasks, uh, be reliant on a specific person, usually me. So it's like, you kill the question 
Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Bruce. Um, there's another one that I just saw pop up that I have to try today, actually, because a friend sent it to me yesterday. GetGuru.com. And kind of similar to Tango, but what it's doing is it's mining your existing info. So Slacks and Google Docs. Interesting. It's starting to create a knowledge base for you. Because, I don't know, for us, we have a lot of things that go through Slack. So um, questions, just being remote and everything. So constant questions. But then you've got new people that come in. Obviously, they ask the same things. And if someone just isn't dedicated to documenting, like you said, then it just keeps popping up, understandably so. So anyway. I'll yeah, let you so guys know how it goes. With the one of the principles of lean that we really put in place here is putting the answer where the question is. So that's why at the shipping station, we have a QR code that accesses that tango sheet for how to make a shipping label. Because anybody's going to walk up to that shipping label that maybe isn't just proficient in making shipping labels, they can they're going to have that question. So how do I make a shipping label? They're going to come get me or they're going to come get somebody else if they're filling in for someone especially. So that was the, the, the intent that we put forth right out of the gate is to put the answer where the question is. And so they can walk up to that shipping station, they can scan the QR code that's labeled how to make a shipping label and it pulls it all up, how to plug everything into ShipStation, even how to print it out, make sure that the printers like uh, settings are all correct and, and our SOPs for how the labels even go on the box. I, so like I went down a QR code rabbit hole around the shop and was doing a bunch of stuff. And then I realized like no one was scanning them. <laughs> do you find that your team, and I think it's like a, it's a culture thing. Do you find your team actually using them? Yes, because I've kind of gotten uh, less forgiving about those questions. Mm. Um, I've even joked here in the shop about uh, printing myself a series of shirts that have on the back say, have you looked at the proof yet? And so when I'm sitting at my desk and my staff comes in behind me, they can see the the big question that says, have you looked at the proof yet? Um, So a lot of it was just kind of um, maybe tongue in cheek that way, but uh, not so militant or hardcore, but that's what it's for. And then we train for that. Like, this is how it's done. This is what you do. If you have a question, if the question is not readily available in that area or that station, then we make then we make it. You know, I, I went through a period of time where anytime anytime anyone asked me a question, I would pull out my phone, I would make them record me uh, answering the question or doing the task or doing whatever, and then that immediately goes to an unlisted playlist that we have for internal SOPs and training videos. And then we spit out a QR code and then we put that QR code in that place. So the top of our heat presses have QR codes for how to set the time and temperature on the heat press. We have in front of the heat presses against the wall. Every station has about, I think, 13 or so QR codes stuck on the wall now. That's everything to how to load uh, a shirt onto the heat press for a left chest print to workflow videos how to even set up the station because you know you want we we do it so there's a stack of transfers on either side and then even just workflow videos just showing like this is kind of the dance of being at the heat press because they're dual stations so we're we're loading the shirt on putting the transfer down pressing so on and so forth and then we have things in the screen print area as well like how to how to turn the dryer on how to adjust time 
uh, or belt speed and temperature on the dryers as well. But everything, I mean, even in the restrooms, we have QR codes on our toilet paper dispensers, how to change the toilet paper roll. Here's where the key is. The key's hanging there. The key's labeled because they're industrial dispensers. So we, we, we strive really hard to put the answer where the question is, which means that question should, <laughs> uh, shouldn't be asked again. Do you have an integrator that does this, Scott, or is this mostly you? It is almost entirely me. Gotcha. Yeah. So this is like, so, you know, I think that's really interesting. Have you ever thought about finding like one person that can, you can kind of clone yourself and be like, okay, like now I guess that's what like a COO would like a uh, head of ops would kind of do kind of thing. Sure. Do you have any, any right hand people that like embrace it as much as you do or. All right, real quick. I got to tell you something. This is really interesting and here's why. We formed a company called Inktavo. You may have heard of it, but it has three different brands right now. Printavo, Inksoft, and Graphics. So we're all sister companies now, a big happy family. What we're able to do is Printavo's managing your shop management and workflow organization. Inksoft can run your website and handle online stores at scale. So running multiple different stores for fundraisers, schools, um, company stores and everything in between. And Graphics Flow is a brand new product to be able to help reduce all the back and forth with art. So it has a huge art library that you can put on your website so customers can see and pluck what they want. Plus, you can also be able to collect different ideas and send them to customers to approve as well. Really, really cool. Plus, in-app editing. It's like Canva, but specifically for shops. All right. Check it out. All those brands are on inktavo.com. That's inktavo.com. All right, thanks. Um, yeah. So my team has gotten really on board with it. And yeah, we've got a couple like people that now now they're we've gotten to a point now when I when I bring uh, improvements to the table, they now get questioned. And so which is awesome. You know, that's that's great that that our culture is really reaching a point to where I'm presenting Hey, I think we should do this, or here's a here's a QR code process system that we're gonna try and implement. And then immediately I'm getting not pushback, but but um, critiquing, where it's like, well, is that over processing? Would it make more sense if we just move that table over here and had it on this side? Would it make more sense if we had uh, a temperature gun? for the front and the back of the dryer and, and, you know, anything that it, case may be. And so the, the culture is starting to sort of blossom into that where they're having ideas, they're critiquing my ideas, which is, which is the ultimate goal. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be continuous improvement. And that means like myself more than anybody. How long before each of those stages happen, right? So it's like stage one was, you pushing this forward and forcing it down people's throats, then stage two maybe is, oh, someone actually just scanned this. And maybe Tango US has some analytics or something they can see views. And then stage three is the Mecca, right? Which is people are giving feedback back and contributing. Like what, what were the lengths of those? So it was obvious, you know, definitely it was me bringing this to the table first. And, you know, I've been plugged into Lean for, for a few years now. And um, and kind of introducing it to everyone wasn't an easy process. And just by nature, everyone's like, well, that's great, but 
we have, I have always just done it this way. And I'm used to walking over to this, this table or whatever to retrieve whatever it is they may need. And so do I really need it right here in front of me or do I need quicker access to something? Or, uh, I think for us, the, the real aha moment for the whole team was when we put into place our Kanban system for um, not only just retrieving supplies, but reordering supplies. And so our Kanban system, it's a, it's a physical card that goes into a packing slip pouch that we stick onto whatever the product may be. And it's gonna have what that, what that supply is, where the supply comes from, our minimum stock level, and then a QR code, which uh, goes to a Monday form, which then updates a Monday board that notifies me, notifies the office, but it comes to me uh, that that supply needs to be ordered. That QR code then goes into a tray that's in that area. So in the dark room, for instance, on uh, emulsion buckets, we're buying, we typically buy like four gallons at a time. And so our minimum stock level for emulsion on the shelf is two gallons. So we'll take two gallon, the the, leave the buckets in the boxes. We'll put that label across the two boxes. And so to access those last two gallons, which is our minimum stock level, you have to remove that card because we put it across the box. That label goes across the box. So in order to open it, you have to remove that card. You scan it opens up the form, you just submit that, 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 that the emulsion is needed. That updates a Monday form, which notifies me to order emulsion. That card then goes in the tray, which tells everyone else that it's already been scanned and we've submitted to the Monday board that that needs to be ordered. It also leaves enough product on the shelf to buy us the time for the new product to arrive. Really overkill for us. And then when that new emulsion arrives, we take that card, put it back into a sleeve, put it on the next two boxes, and that goes into the backstop. And so it almost huh. it, it hits them like when they get to that card, they're like, oh, here's the card. It's yeah. like you almost hide it, if that makes sense. And so our original our original uh, Kanban system, we had, <coughs> excuse me, we had an, uh, I was using a jewelry organizer actually, and they would bring me the physical card but say from the dark rooms on the other side of the building. So they got to bring that physical card all the way to, to my office and put it in this organizer. Our new system, they don't even have to leave that area. They just take it off the product, scan it, submit it, and then they put it in the tray right there on the wall in, in each area where the supplies are kept. Same thing in the bathroom. There's like one in the bathroom as well. How many months though was it until the team accepted this new? Because even with a two second lean integrator that we had talk at print hustlers last year of which, um, print hustlers 2023 will be in Newport. Make sure you go to printhustlers.com to get your tickets. If they mentioned it took time before people actually accepted it as well. Um, was it like six months for you guys, three months, a year before people were like, okay, you know, I get it. it. This is helpful. Once we implemented this newer system, it all it it kind of makes it to where that's just how it's done. So and then me just being a little bit more firm with like when someone comes in, if someone and it still happens occasionally, someone will come and tell me we're almost out of this. And then my response will be, 
did you scan, like, did you pull the Kanban card? Did you scan the Kanban mm -hmm. card? Which I'm going to already know because I'm going to have gotten a notification about it already. And so mm -hmm. a lot of it was just, again, kind of, it's, it's really more, has been more disciplined for myself to not just jump in and do it really quick. I've had to, with intention, I've had to back away from those types of those types of behaviors because I'm just so used to, okay, great. And then my ADHD brain will just completely stop what I'm working on right now. And I will order that thing. And then I'll get up and go get a drink and then I'll get a snack and then I'll check on production. And then the thing I was working on is, has gotten completely on the back burner. So for me personally, it's been a great benefit to me as well to put in this system. And so having the team, having a system that, involves really the team just taking it on themselves is has been crucial but it wasn't overnight i mean it's kind of like i don't know if i don't know if six months but definitely a few months of just like this is how we're doing it now this is how we're this is this is the process now i um first of all it takes an it takes a tremendous amount of discipline for an owner to do that because I think like we go to print hustlers, we listen to, you know, someone talk, we buy the book, we do it for two weeks and then it kind of like fizzles away. So like there's a sense of discipline. And I guess like as an owner, you have, if you are going to be the integrator, you have to be the kind of circus clown a little bit yeah, um, and run around like with your head cut off. But now what I'm hearing is there's enough in place and it's kind of sticky enough where you can leave the shop and things will still run. Was there, uh, when you were on vacation, did you find things that people maybe skipped just because they're like, yeah, Scott won't notice this? Um, no, nothing stands out to me like that. Um, some of the highlights that I took away from it were more like issues of, oh, I'm the only one that orders that. Because some of the hmm. QR codes they're fully automated with zaps where it just sends an email to our Saudi rep and that sends an automated, uh, automated email that says we need four gallons of emulsion or whatever it may be. And that's that when they scan that code, it's it the, the QR code skips the form and just sends a, the zap sends an email. Um, some of the other things were, well, I'm ordering that, uh, one of one of the current things we're trying to overcome is how to find a, a more streamlined, automated way to order things from Amazon, because not everyone's going to be logged into our Amazon. So how do we resolve that? Because that's something what that highlighted was I'm still too directly involved in ordering certain things. Uh, but that but as far as the team skipping steps at this point. We don't really have that problem. That's interesting. I wonder if you could like have an Amazon shopping because it's Amazon business. I think you can make profiles now, but it's like uh, if they scan because because you buy like the same products from the same spot every yeah. time. You're very religious about that. Yeah, that's interesting. Does anyone else in the shop have buying power to be like, here's Scott's credit card? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it can my, be done. My it's just like manager. Yeah. Yeah, it can be done. Huh. I think what we would have to do, probably the easiest thing would be just to have, 
my office manager's computer logged into our Amazon. And that would that would be the quickest solution. Do you, do you think that like uh, or how did you really be able to carve out the time to do all this? Because I mean, and this is a lot to <clears throat> build the right zaps, <clears throat> you know, print out the QR codes, make sure they're up to date, do all this stuff. And I think a lot of people to what you're saying, Stephen, want to do this, but it's a matter of actually carving out time or, or just valuing it more importantly than the day to day task. Was this something you were hacking away at at nighttime for a while or some of it. did you just yeah. say, I'm not doing this like other work and I'm totally focusing on this for the next week to get it off the ground? When, when we first started diving into building our Tango library, I absolutely just kind of put everything else on the back burner. And I very much with intention set out to, okay, everything I do this week I'm going to document and, you know, like, a, again, continuous improvement. So I'm going to make just something. I'm just going to document it and I can come back and, and edit some things or change some things. Or maybe the maybe the screenshot it took would be better if I, I circled the button in the screenshot or, or all the things you can do in the Tango interface. But out of the gate, I just recorded the, the raw, you know, um, Anyone that's around me very long and everyone in the shop <laughs> that comes in the shop is going to hear my uh, lawn metaphor. I have a lawn metaphor that I use, which is you mow the lawn and then you come back and trim. And so I've applied that concept to how I've approached implementing lean into our shop, which is let's just start. Let's just get the bulk. Let's put up the raw footage straight off of my phone that's got all the stuff going on in the background. It's not beautifully shot or edited. The whole point is the, is the message and just get that up. And then if the process changes a little bit, or if I'm watching those videos and someone's like, but yeah, but what about this? Then we can make a new one and we can improve it. And so a lot of it was just about getting the bulk done and then going back and addressing the more detail oriented aspects that we may need to add in or maybe have a separate uh, SOP for. And, but yeah, I mean, the, the, out of the gate, I would say I did just have to set out with intent to specifically to implement these things. Scott, did you go to like a Tony Robbins show and then have this like lean revolution? Where was your shop before and what like because you I mean, you know, for, did you for get better, super pissed at someone? Yeah, did, me on did the something happen? Like it's almost I, I almost from an outsider's looking in. It's like someone was really not happy with their health and they just flipped their life around kind of like what happened? What was the inflection point in your business? where this just turned on. Um, can you talk to us about that? Yeah, because I can pretty much tell you exactly when it happened. And, uh, and we, back we want to, all the gross details. Yeah, get into we the want details. all yeah, the yeah. details. Yeah. And back to Bruce's point about time. One of the greatest gifts that 2020 gave us was time and the time to reflect and the time to reset. So, up to, well, about 2006 to 2019, uh, I spent a lot of time, like most people, just banging their heads against the wall. Um, 2020 
was a catalyst for a, a, a major, major shift in our company entirely. And with me specifically, because we very much, I very much had to figure out as an owner, how do we move forward? Because how this company is, has been operating up to this point is not sustainable. Uh, I've been doing, I've been screen printing since the mid nineties. I started King Screen in 2006. And anybody that's been in screen printing, especially involved in daily production for any period of time really, learns very quickly how physically demanding that is. And so as I'm getting older, I have to, I know that physically I'm on the far end of the road that involves me leaving day-to-day -day production uh, physically. And so, and from a shop perspective, the biggest thing that 2020 did for me was to really hammer in the necessity for us to figure out a way for us to handle our current capacity and our capacity moving forward with not just less involvement for me, but how do we operate the shop with less, perhaps less staff entirely is what we, I think all of us were feeling in 2020. And so what I was looking for was how do I get maybe not a clone of myself, but how do I get more time back? How do, how do I walk into a shop for seven, seven months out of 2020, I was coming into King Screen alone, just me, just me. And so how, how do I, how do you do that? How do you go from a staff of nine to me for seven months? And then, you know, the first staff that we brought back was, um, was office staff. And so, and other than that, the majority of the time I was coming in every day, my wife was, was doing uh, office work remotely from home because 2020 made her an overnight homeschool teacher. We built out a classroom in the mudroom of our house and uh, my wife has a degree in that. So she became a legit teacher and was teaching our children in the, in the classroom we built in our home. And so there, there becomes that like need to provide uh, kicked in strong and that need of survival uh, and the fight or flight. And I'm, I've been nothing in my life but a fighter. I'm not gonna sit at home and I'm not gonna just wait it out. I, I sat down to figure out how do we do it moving forward. And 2020 was the biggest catalyst for what ultimately led to us implementing uh, more transfers into our business because that became the solution for us to handle smaller volume stuff in a less, uh, remove without as much demand for, for pre and post production. Yeah. Let's talk about this. Cause, um, this was actually why I thought it'd be great to chat with you, but you started with something that was also very interesting, <laughs> which is uh vacation. And I find that fascinating because it is like mentally addicting to, to, um, to not unplug. Um, Matt Marcotte, uh, you know, industry consultant, implementer extraordinaire, uh, just, 
good guy Marcotte is said that you guys were doing a lot more transfers um, than screen printing. He's like, you you should chat with Scott at, Scott at screen, King Screen because he's doing some really interesting stuff. Um, so, you know, it sounds like you transitioned there, but kind of fast forward to today real quick. What is the, what is the differences between how you're splitting the business in your shop and like which one dominates now? So <clears throat> heat transfers are just a tool. That's how we view it. Um, for us, heat transfers aren't a replacement for screen printing. They're an addition to our capacity and our toolbox. Um, I can't say that either is really dominating because they're handling different um, different needs for our clients. We're going to know out of the gate which clients we can give a transfer to and which ones we can't. Um, that's a, been not a difficult learning curve. I mean, we just we deep we really deep dove into transfers in 2020 as a solution. Because of masks, right? Like that was the easiest way to decorate on a mask or yeah, yes. what was? Yeah, I mean, I, I screen printed zero masks. Every mask we ever produced out of this facility was done in some type of transfer. Um, in 2020, we invested in three MEM heat presses. We brought those in as a as a solution for not only just decorating masks and things like that for, for quick and easy turn with with lower overhead for us and an effort for me personally, because like I said, I was coming in the shop a lot on my own, but it, it completely eliminated the necessity for pre and post production. So backing up to, to 2019 really quick, I was, I was shopping for auto reclaim equipment and I'd gotten quotes from all types of companies. And I was looking at all the ones because we were, we were drowning in our, in our auto reclaim area. And so I started the lean, <laughs> the lean mind kicked in of asking why five times. Why do I need an auto reclaim? It's a, it's a very hefty investment. Well, it's because we're reclaiming this many screens every week. Well, why are we reclaiming that many screens every week? Well, because our average, uh, our average job is requiring this many screens. And so following, just kind of going down that rabbit hole, we realized we're doing we're doing a significant amount of orders that are that are 50 pieces or under is where we originally started like looking at it. And could we shift a significant amount of that business to some type of transfer or heat applied product? And the answer became, I mean, it was almost instantly like, well, yes, of course. Like, you know, you have uh, not only screen printed transfers, but Supercolor, um, DTF, and then hybrid options as well. Um, in doing that, which is, we just kind of started doing it. And I had done some, you know, I had some experience in heat transfers in the past, but of course the technology is night and day. Um, I think at this point, Anybody watching this podcast is going to be familiar with Supercolor. Uh, I told I told Rem that Supercolor was the Amazon of of heat uh, heat transfers. Oh, don't you're that's going to go right to his head. Damn it, Scott! Why'd you do that? Gosh, Rum, if you're listening to this, uh, all right, you can be the Amazon of heat transfers. Fine. So, uh, 
but it, you know, and then of course DTF has has had a significant impact on this industry. It's going to continue to, in a major way. Um, it's not going to kill anybody's shop. It's not going to ruin the industry. It's not going to kill the screen printing press sales or anything like that. I don't believe any of that. Um, again, it's just a tool in the toolbox and it doesn't apply to all things. Uh, we don't look at heat transfers as a replacement. We just look at it as uh, an addition to uh, a shop's capacity with a much, much smaller investment and a much, much easier trainability. So it allows an easier, uh, the easiest way to scale a shop uh, in both equipment and asset investment, equipment investment, and also investment in team. I mean, if you want to look at just just compare the difference between training someone fully to run an automatic screen printing press to be fully proficient in, in operating an automatic screen printing press versus training someone to operate a heat press. Night for and day. Uh, for yeah. us, it's night and day. I mean, you can have someone up to speed and in, 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 uh, confidently doing a heat transfer job in 30 minutes, an hour tops. Bruce can operate a heat press. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't <laughs> it very super well. well, but um, might be a little crooked, but it's going to go on. Scott, if you look <laughs> at a percentage of your business, um, how much, what percent of your business do you think you now heat transfer? If you could, if you could guess. Um, if I had to put it in a ballpark, I would probably say we, we might be, we might be crossing into the 40%. Wow. Yeah. And but it's different, for, you know, it's for different jobs, you know, right. so we're, we're not necessarily replacing, well, we're not replacing screen printing with, with transfer products. What we're doing is we're, in my opinion, we're, we're using the best tool for that specific job. I mean, when you get an order and this goes back to what I was saying about auto reclaim, once we started implementing a higher switching a, a higher number of jobs to some to some type of heat applied product <clears throat> what i found out is when i went back to my reclaim needs i was back to a place where i no longer felt i could justify investing in auto reclaim when and that was that was a big moment for me when i realized we can we can have a significant increase in our output capacity while decreasing some of our pain points which which at the time was auto was reclaim yeah i have a, I have a funny story i um we print for the creek system in the sororities and uh sororities all order crop tops it's a thing and they did this whole candyland design probably a hundred pieces and uh, the student put in that she wanted DTF and we screen printed it. And then <laughs> she messaged us like, why isn't this DTF? And I'm like, no, it's better if it's screen printed. It's fine. She's like, no, 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 we, we wanted DTF. And I was like, well, so anyways, and, and so uh, I was like, you know, we, we re-ran some of it cause they wanted, you know, uh, they wanted some different colors or whatever. And we ran it on the DTF and, you know, I asked our team and I was like, wait, it took 30 minutes to print 
and about an hour, 45 minutes to heat press. We probably should have just DTF that from the start. And I thought about it. I'm like, wait, you burned five, four screens that took, you know, 30 minutes to wash out, to, to do this, to do that. Um, and so it kind of dawned on me, like, you know, if the client is a client that you can put in a transfer, Scott, and I think you made a point there that says like, not all clients are transfer ready with, you know, depending on the brand and kind of what they want, but almost setting a threshold, like, Hey, if it's 50 pieces, more than two or three colors, it's getting a transfer. If it's a hundred pieces under this many colors, it's getting a transfer. Do you have rules set up for your team or do you still kind of like toy with what can be a transfer? What can screen print? So right out of the gate, we're going to, we're going to make a decision on whether or not a transfer is appropriate for that customer. Okay. Um, so appropriate this. Okay. Yeah. Is it going to be the because first decision? We know, because we're going to know our, we know our clients, um, you know, our core clients, we're going to know them well enough of what we can get away with and what we can't as far as giving them a transfer versus a screen print. Some of our clients we've worked with for 12, 13 years and we've screen printed their stuff for that long. Some of them we approached out of the gate um, and said, hey, you know, you've got a seven color left chest <laughs> and you're ordering 100 shirts at a time and your cost is this. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking seven screens to, you know, mesh to mesh. You're looking at the bigger picture of, of creating all of those screens to run even 100 shirts. That's a lot of a lot of a lot of labor and cost involved that doesn't involve anything being on press, all your pre and post production to consider. And then some of them were just like some, a lot of clients, we just roll a dice with because, because we're versed enough with this industry. And I feel like what, um, what our clients a lot of times are coming to us for is for us to guide them. We are, we're, we need to be the, the authority. We need to be the, the industry expert. So they want a shirt done and they have this design. It's really our job to say, you know, actually, if we use the DTF on this, you, you would like the print better than if we, then if we screen printed it, which I think is what you learned, Stephen. Scott, when you go into, okay, so this is funny because there's this whole debate of like, do my customers want DTF or not? And I a hundred percent agree with you. Sometimes I roll the dice whenever I go into a, a city or if that has a resort shop or I go to a music venue, I'm, are you always religiously feeling shirts to see, is this transfer or not? What are you finding out in the world? I have some findings, but I want to hear your first and Bruce, I want to hear yours as well. So I'm obviously seeing more and more transfers of some type, either DTF and or and or the increase of, of even screen printed transfers um, or, or some type of hybrid like Supercolor. Um, and I'm seeing it a lot more with, of course, difficult to decorate garments um, like you were describing with the with the crop top, for instance. Um, I'm sure your press operators didn't love loading those. And if they were like a, a Bella canvas blend, they don't want to stick to the platen. And so what I'm seeing out in, in, in the field <laughs> is more and more transfer product. And so people are getting more and more familiar with that. And 
it makes it kind of a no brainer because that's what people are receiving. And I, you know, I've got to say that there's, there's a growing in, there's growing instances of the prints coming out better with some type of transfer than it would if we screen printed it. That's bold. Bruce, what about you? (laughs) Um, around athletic uh like just specifically around retail um gifting i was just on like the venice kind of boardwalk the other day but all those like little shops those gift shops for tourists and stuff it's all transfers um and then athletic stuff is extremely heavy i I don't really see much screen printed and then also what's interesting is hats too um I think almost all hats are transfers now. You don't really see as many patches, uh, let alone embroidery. Um, so that's kind of fascinating. But I'm not the I'm not in the music scene as much, so I, I don't see much there. Although you know, we went to that Drake concert, and that was seemed to be all screen printed. Um, which maybe that's like a a nostalgic type thing where, you know, they want folks to have it just like they had it 20 or 30 years ago. But the rest, I don't think people care, <laughs> you know? I mean, it could be though. Some of them though have crazy amount of locations though, which is the, and that, the, that's what I noticed. I went to a couple different concerts and I noticed, you know, crazy print on the front and then a little back tag of a heat press or something like that, or something on the sleeve or, um, it's, and and what's interesting is I looked at the opener of that concert and then that was all like DTG. And so like, I don't think customers care as much as us screen printers think. Absolutely. I mean, let me clarify that a, that completely, you know, my statement is completely contingent on contingent on what your definition of better is. And that's going to vary frankly from job to job. Because uh, my opinion, the the greatest deciding factor in the success of a transfer is going to be what is the artwork? Because if it is a big, solid circle on the front of a black hoodie, you're kind of, yeah, it's going to be bulletproof, frankly, either way. And there's tricks that you can do. I mean, we we double press deep... uh, DTF with heavy linen twice, and that softens and mats the print a little bit. Um, but with certain pieces of art, there's only so much you can do. And so, you know, just to clarify, like better is is subjective, and it's very dependent on art. And for us, the deciding factor more than anything has been quantity. You know, yeah. But Scott, you've also taken crazy prints that would be like a sim process and you've taken them into Photoshop, you've trapped them with some black and like you've actually really like ripped some of the elements out of the art to get, you know, some breathability. So like it can be done um, over time. Yeah. If you guys want a little bit of secret sauce, I'll tell you one of the tricks that we've been doing with DTF is we have been color separating sim process type artwork as if we're going to screen print it all the way down to generating the halftones angles everything and then i'm rebuilding that file in photoshop color layered and then i'm flattening that image 
And then one of my one of my secrets I'll let out is I'm generally adding one or two pixel stroke of whatever shirt color it's going on and then exporting that transparent PNG. When you get a DTF from a DTF provider that can handle that, <laughs> um, I would venture to say that it's we're seeing results that are practically indistinguishable from sim process screen printing. Yep. It does Which not feel like super a transfer does that at thin. All. No, um, it's actually the opposite, Bruce. You're actually like, um, yeah, you're some, some DTF manufacturers or transfer manufacturers will put a, a, a small trim around things. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Scott, you're trying to avoid that. Um, by almost tricking it with the shirt color a little bit. Correct. I think Supacolor will add whatever the background is. They'll they'll make that haze the shirt color um, if you're specific with them, I think. Mm, right? Yeah. Maybe? That's so it. So Supacolor, uh, as much as I love Supacolor, one of their weaknesses, in my opinion, is their, um, their difficulty to do open space halftones. And um, this is something I talked with Brum about. And uh, one of the things that probably needs to be clarified by someone, because I feel like this industry is just like DTF happy. And so everything's DTF. Uh, Supercolor is not DTF. Supercolor is DST, which is digital screen transfer. So they're, they're digitally printing the color and then they are screen printing the white backing. Um, Supercolor does it with water-based ink, I believe. Um, because of yeah, course they're it, it, proprietary, so nobody truly knows. Um, but rum, we want to see on, <laughs> we want a tour rum. Yeah. Come on, wizard. Let us behind the curtain. Amazon. Um, rum, so, rum Bezos. So that's the difference. <laughs> Supercolor is DST versus, uh, which has a screen printed white backing where DTF is all digital. It, all of it, including the white is digital. So inherently DTF has, some capabilities that hybrid hybrid transfers just can't do yet. And if you talk to, if you like uh, use Dennis at Supercolor um, and you're specific with them, they can do some things with your art. Um, they have a super great art department. So you can ask them um, to, to make some adjustments uh, if you want. So um, yeah, but no, it's definitely, you know, um, now granted, if you're printing 2000 shirts, yeah, the SIM process, you're going to burn the screens or get a, you know, digital squeegee. But for us, and I think what it sounds like for you, Scott, it could be like, if it's 150 pieces on a SIM process, you might transfer it still. Yes. Yeah. We, we just recently did a 300 piece job that was a seven color left chest, seven color back. And we did the whole job in transfers in DTF and our arsenal, we now have six MEM dual shuttles. And so our arsenal of heat presses, we had that job done, I would say casually in under two hours. Wow. If you just think about how many screens that is, that's insane. And so for me, that was, that was the big selling point for transfers is eliminating pre and post production which you have to look at from a cost perspective of what you're charging for a job. Are you charging correctly in order to cover the expenses that a lot of people skip over? 
And for the diehard screen printers, even me, myself, I even needed the, the proof of concept for myself to look at it from a perspective of, yes, standing at a heat press, putting transfers on is, is seems so much slower than just screen printing a job. But most people are looking at that from the perspective of just the on-press production part of it. But the grander picture is how much time is spent. You know, we, we say mesh to mesh. So you're taking a blank mesh screen, you're coating it, it's drying, you're imaging it, you're washing it out, it's drying, it's getting prepped, it's getting set up on the, on the press, registration, press checks, press test prints, printing the job, running the job, breaking the job down, cleaning the squeegees and flood bars, uh, cleaning and reclaiming the screen. So mesh to mesh, that whole process. Or, or you're opening a box of transfers from Supercolor or Howard's or 613 or MF Expressions or somewhere overseas. And you're opening the transfers up, you're setting up your heat press, you're pressing them on, you're boxing them up, you're sending them out the door. Now we have regulars that we do, that we are now starting to inventory transfers for. We work with a martial arts studio. He orders 50 shirts about once a month. It's the same thing. He, everybody that takes his class gets a shirt. This guy is not gonna order 500 shirts. I've told him for 10 years, why don't you just order 500 shirts and put them on a shelf? He won't do it. He just wants to order 50 a month. So what I did is I, it's just a one color left chest, one color back. Uh, golden yellow on black golden shirts, easy peasy. We just went to 613. We bought 500 left chests, 500 backs. We put them on a shelf. The guy places an order. We inventory black gildens here. So when that guy places an order, we send him an invoice. He pays. We go pull the shirts off the shelf, press on the transfers front and back. The guy's getting like a two hour turnaround. It ships that day. And we burn no screens, you know, Every single person that's in this shop is trained and capable of running a heat press and doing heat press jobs. And so our turnaround time is, it's, I will say this, and this will be your soundbite. <laughs> heat transfers are a competitive advantage. And so you're either taking advantage of that tool or you're not. And if you're not applying heat transfers in your business, you will lose competitive advantage in your market, period. Mic drop. Clip it. <laughs> uh, Scott, how can, um, how can people follow you, get in touch? Give us your handles. Everything everywhere is at King Screen. We're Sweet. primarily on Instagram, pretty much solely on Instagram. And you give out a lot of tips. You kind of share openly, build openly. So yeah. um, thank you. Thank you for doing that for the industry. Absolutely. Um, super grateful. And um, I, you know, awesome. I don't keep a book of secrets. So if somebody wants to know something, just message me and I'll be happy to discuss it. You know, I don't gatekeep anything. I'm happy to, to spill the tea on everything. Also giving free road trip advice. Yeah, so if you want to stay absolutely. in a wigwam, yeah. uh, hit up Scott. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Scott. Yeah, thank you. Scott, always appreciating having you on. You're always such a forward thinker. So it's great. Thank you for the time. Right. Thank you, guys. All right, guys. I think that's the show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pronounce Conf. We'll see you next week.
Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully that was informative. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to hit the bell for notifications if you enjoyed this video. If you enjoy all the stuff we're putting out, it's really helpful. We love to just be able to see it. That means that we're doing a good job. To subscribe, hit the bell for notifications and hit the like button. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.